Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who returned safely. Yes. From Haiti. Yeah. You had a whirlwind of a trip last week. Dude. You came back alive, Uh not ransomed, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so, I'm actually amazed at how many people don't know the situation in Haiti. And then I say that on the same side of the other side of my mouth, I could say I actually 100% can understand why people wouldn't understand because there's a lot of problems in the world right now. So you wouldn't know that. Uh, in our own backyard, like the, the the Haiti, the the president being assassinated in July of this past year, twenty twenty, whatever year that was. Um, that wasn't the beginning of their problems. This started yeah years ago. So the entire capital city uh, is controlled by uh, Haitian gangs. They call them drug gangs, but these are more like mafia gangs at this point. They're like hijacking aid trucks, uh, selling the stuff. You got to pay taxes to them to be protected. It's the Haitian mafia now, and um, yeah, there's no government. No, the, the, the government is powerless against their impotent. Every man for himself. Yeah. So, in a city of four million. Yeah. So this, <laughs> it's at least four million. It's actually really a mysterious right now. It's a city that was designed to be for around two million. There at one point were four or five million living in. Port-au-Prince and because of that so you know imagine it's like Thompson Station versus Spring Hill you know for our context in Tennessee like you can't go into Thompson Station because the guys they've got guys standing on 31 and Goose Creek whatever uh protecting so families are just because you'd be in the middle of the night you know like up off a of henpeck lane and just gunshots ringing throughout the night and it's not hunters or rednecks it's Haitians trying to kill each other and so uh Kidnapping for ransom is a business model. Um, I don't know Source they, of income. Yeah, I don't know if they take Venmo or not, but <laughs> they are. Uh, if you're and they're and it's 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 man, it's really destroying Haiti in so many ways. But one of the main ones is the brain drain, because they're targeting specifically Haitians who have expat connections. So if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a, a teacher, a college professor, they are. Just as likely, far more likely to be kidnapped than a Blanc would be, a white guy. Um, mostly because right now there are no white guys down there. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird going in on the plane. And it's just me and Eric and Kay and, and Lee, uh, Leanne Jorgensen, who's with Kay, uh, going in. There's no other Blancs in sight. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that when you got off the, the plane in Port-au-Prince, how, um, you know, how alone you felt knowing that you were probably one of the only Americans in there. Yeah. It's a weird, if it fails, fails, I'm talking like Tracy Rogers. <laughs> it fails <laughs> like she doesn't listen to this podcast, right? I don't am, I, am I mocking her? Um, great Bible teacher with a Southern accent. Uh, it, it felt like 2004 and five all over again. When we first started going, um, Aristide had just been overthrown and it was basically, if you saw any other white people on the plane, it were Mennonites, um, which is a whole other podcast right. for another day. Uh, so it felt weird, actually, uh, to, to that. And then to know that I can't drive in Port-au-Prince anymore. Like, we have to fly. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, and, man, thank goodness for – actually, I can say thank God. That's not – he is God. <laughs> thank God that Mission Aviation is there. They've got Mission Aviation pilots that are – there and there, the, they are the literal lifeblood of this nation right now. So we, you know, we got, we got in a little plane, flew up over the mountain into Jacmel. So that changes it from what a three-hour drive through the mountains, which I've done, which I may never do again because it's brutal. Yeah. To to what a a, a twenty-minute jump? I almost don't want to tell you. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, it's from wheels up to wheels down is seventeen minutes. Oh my word! You're literally just flying up over the mountains and then back down again. Oh, that's incredible. It's fascinating, right? It was Gosh. Sick. So actually, I actually don't want to get in the van again. The more I think about it, because that was a soul crushing oh, exercise. Soul crushing is the exact proper <laughs> phrase. But uh, but so we flew there, 
and you know because the gangs so far have uh, they've not franchised like they've not gone MLM yet <laughs> so there's not like a you know getting your downline of the gang of in Jacques Mel yet uh, once you're outside of Port-au-Prince uh, for, for, as best I can tell the gangs are busy enough protecting their own territories that they um, they haven't had a chance to branch out yet you know if you've got say two or three hundred people in your gang you really can't afford to send two or three of them to Jacques Mel to start a new club uh, when you've got Again, Tom's station is like shooting at you, so you got to keep those, you know. So, what's devastating is that the amount of refugees within their own country is—it's um, staggering, honestly. People that have fled the city into the mountains, um, into Jacmel. Yeah, and the news that came out this week, or rather last week, is that the Dominican Republic is putting up a wall. They're building a, a wall. I forget how many miles it is. It's it's the well, my understanding is most of the stretch of the border. Like yeah. it's they're gonna. They announced that this last week. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not popular as you might guess amongst the Haitian people, but you know the Dominican is in a position where they're you know they're literally being overrun, and if you're Haitians, I don't blame a single one of them. Where, where are you sure. gonna go? Um, and where we found ourselves was uh, from. Uh, Jacques Mel, we we actually drove this one, which uh, I don't know if I, I don't if, I don't think I want to do that again. But there's a couple moments where I was I was uh, awake, maybe put it that way, um, on the way over. But so there's a city called Lekai, and it's out on the peninsula, and a lot of people had fled there, and uh, and after fleeing there, uh, uh, an earthquake that everybody knew about for a minute because then the news moved on destroyed like most of that city like um so you've got violence refugees now side by side with earthquake refugees and you know in in, in the 2010 earthquake uh the, the gang violence wasn't what it was so you you drive through and you would see tents tent cities but they're not tent cities now they're like shack shanty towns so like it's um tin and tarps because there are no tents um, and by the way, tents are not the solution anyway, but uh, we saw, I mean, almost every house we encountered, literally, literally almost every house we encountered had damage that made the house unlivable. Um, and they're still experiencing aftershocks. We, we, there was a 4.6 while we were there. Um, there was a, everybody jumped up in the middle of the night and like, oh, did you feel that? Or wow. uh, it was like 10 o'clock. Did you feel that? Did you feel that? Uh, and two months ago, there was a 5.6, um, which if your building is already damaged, it, you know, it doesn't take much to knock it the rest of the way down. So more and more people are still being damaged. But So you were there to touch base with um, several of the pastors that mm-hmm. um, have been um, leading, what, seven different churches in, in the area? Yeah. Within, like, what radius of Jacques Mel is that? So that is, uh, that's a good question, radius. Um, it's within a few mile radius, you know, it's but it's funny, like four or five miles could be like yeah. an hour's drive. So true. Yeah. Um, it sure felt like it. Uh, so yeah, we were. I just felt like they needed to know that they were not forgotten. Yeah, like that. That f- felt like you know Romans one, Paul saying, I, "I hope I can come see you. I miss you." There, there's something called the ministry of presence, um, because they just needed to know that somebody thought they were important enough That's to right. risk their life yep. to say hello, right? Yep. And so, yeah, we spent time there, and then um, and we spent the, the rest of that time in Lake Kai, where we have built schools. Um, they are an extension of, so mich- the people from those churches in Jacques Mel now are sending teams to Lake Kai to do what uh, American teams used to do, um, which is, that part is That's beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah, that part is super amazing. And we've got some ideas of, of, what, of how we could actually strengthen that in, into the future. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was powerful, man. It was, in many ways, it was like getting into Lake Kai, this brand new area that we'd never been into before. You see uh, the way Jacques Mel used to feel, which was nobody would look in the eye. All the kids, you know, they they were re- super remote. They, you know, poverty and shame go hand in hand, wh- no matter what part of the world or, or time in history, mm. and so. You know, now you go to Jacques Mel, they're they're high fiving you. You know, they uh, because the gospel wealth didn't cure their shame, but the gospel cures their shame, and so bringing the gospel into Lakai is is important. And so we, 
uh, spent time there looking at uh, hanging out in the schools and figuring out what you know what the next steps forward are and and, and just surrounded by you know heartbreak and suffering and it's you know that, yeah. it's been a little rough honestly coming back coming like oh there's just so much and knowing where to start and right. um right. but the fact that I came back we we could at least start with a celebration of that like you know yeah uh, you came back That's we're good. back so good. without incident and uh, I know it was a profitable time for for them and for you to be there and um so with that being said with you being gone yeah I was able to to speak on Sunday to give you obviously the, the week. Yeah, which was a huge gift for me to not be like a lot of times when I'm traveling, especially in the olden days, like I would be on the plane writing sermons <laughs> right. on the way back, or you know, or my oh, mind is because you know it is like when you're, you're you're speaking, your mind is pretty consumed with that coming up, so it's hard to be, yeah, you know, uh, which you know you experienced. I, mean, I might not have been. In the country, but you were in the country, and you still had a lot, like a whole lot of stuff going on last week. That week. was, you know, you found yourself writing your sermon at night, but but it went off like a uh, like a bomb. It was amazing, like huge feedback from the people that were there. Yeah, it was a good uh, Sunday. It, it's, you were the perfect guy for it because, you know, it was those last few verses of Romans twelve wrapped up Romans twelve, and. It's literally like I told you. It's like somebody just dumped out a giant thing of Legos. Uh, each verse is its own thing. Like each verse, you know, can be. It's why these you know, commentaries on Romans are generally speaking very long, exhaustive. Because, yeah, <laughs> but you did a really good job of dividing it into uh, two sections, right? Loving the body and loving the broken. Yeah, yeah. two sections. Yeah, I was like, I should wish I'd have thought of that. that. Was great. So, and it's what we've been doing as a church. It's what we've been. Um, called to do here locally and, and, and globally. Yeah. Um, and then you get to, I know there's a part where you were talking about uh, the, the quote of, um, until you've learned to, this is about forgiveness, right? Loving your enemies. Until you've learned to sit at the table with your Judas. You'll learn the love of Jesus. Yeah. Did say, how did I, did I say it wrong? No, you said it right. Yeah, I mean, until you sit at the table with your Judas, um, you'll learn to love like Jesus. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah there's I, a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I needed to, I had to take a moment. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to sit up a minute and take that in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Paul addresses, um, those that persecute us, those that mistreat us, those that would call us their enemy, um, or that those that maybe we call an enemy, um, and, and how we should interact with them, how we should love them, um, how we should show them kindness, and um, and that that's can be that can be kind of a tricky conversation because understanding what enemy means really mm-hmm. is is kind of the, the right. catch, um, and in the Greek it really means just to have hostility uh, or resistance in thought or principle with someone else. Um, and what's interesting about that though is, so my wife's a, a, uh, she is a personal trainer and she is all about the resistance bands. Hmm. Have you ever done a full workout? No weights. Just with the bands on? Just rubber bands. No, no, I have not. It's the worst. It's so difficult. I remember she's like, she's like, babe, I want to, I want to take you through a couple routines here with some resistance bands and. I'm just kind of like scoffing like these, like this isn't going to do anything. And she's chuckling under her breath. We do a whole workout routine and within like 30 minutes, I am tapped out. I'm ready to be done. (laughs) Um, There's something about resistance that it makes us stronger. Yep. And so those in our life that push up against our ideological um, frameworks that push up against those things that we have deep convictions about. Um, we have a choice to make on how we interact with those people. Right. Um, and Paul describes a way in which we we love them, we listen to them, we are with them, um, and lead them um, by being kind. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of working through that, even in my own life, and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, an interesting tension that um, when you were talking about it, 
that that was coming to my mind, which is in a in a modern context, we've we've replaced a lot of biblical command with psychological um, tricks and you know, idea, psychology, and so. And, and it's uh, it's like anything. There's 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 wisdom in some of what they would say about like Henry Cloud's book on boundaries is a fantastic yeah. book. Um, uh, if you are in an abusive situation, you don't have to continue to take the abuse uh, in if marriage, whatever. Like there's, there's there are boundaries that, that you know. And if you've never read Boundaries or Necessary Endings, I couldn't recommend them more. Those are great books. Yeah, required reading. Um, and he has great biblical lenses for it, um, because it does help to define what does it mean to love your uh, your enemy. So if we define the enemy as resistance and as those who have hostility towards you, then then what does love look like? And um, and to me, the tension is when you replace the, the, the biblical narrative with just the psychological is you, and I want to be super careful how I say this, um, you could actually end up living as a, as a victim mentality. Yeah. And so your boundaries or whatever are not necessarily about love, but they're about being a victim. They're about you uh, needing to heal, needing to, those are like, again, psychological th- words that are important that you do need to heal. Uh, and then at the same time, there are times when you are now replacing uh, repentance with healing. You're saying healing um, is what I'm waiting for. But what the Bible is really saying is actually just – and repent doesn't mean um, – like when you think of repent, I, I, you tend to think, okay, I've been naughty and I have, to re- I have to be sorry about it. But repent just means to change your mind about something. Yeah. Re- go the other direction of it. And if you are in the biblical – lends a victor, not a victim, something you taught about before, then you can actually love your enemy in a way where they can't hurt you with their words because you know who you are. That's right. Um, and and I, to me it's important because there's a whole um, like platform online right now being built on the idea of being victimized by church uh her church hurt things that have been legitimately painful but when you make your identity the victim that now because uh, they would like I, I was imagining some of the people that i know that write these blogs listening to that and they would have like they would have had blogs about you like oh you're telling you just to be the victim and to you know you know uh you're, you're telling us to keep submitting ourselves to the voice of the abuser to the you know like the, which is 100 percent not what you're saying um that's not what paul's saying either no yeah now, part of part of showing love is to set boundaries. I mean, that's part of the love mm-hmm. for that person and for yourself. I mean, it's the same reason we have a center line on a road. Yeah, we would stay in our lane, and because we talk about relationships are a two way street. Yeah, and there's still a center line on the road to help us stay where we need to stay. Otherwise, we're gonna have head on collisions. Yeah, and uh, it gets really nasty. Yeah, and so. Boundaries are there for our protection, and um, sometimes that is a way of just showing love. Tough love, hard love, but it is a way of showing love not only for yourself um, and respecting yourself, but also honoring that person as well. Yeah. You know, um, for what it's worth, Cloud's um, idea is that there are three kinds of people. This is from Necessary Endings. There are wise people, there are foolish people, and there are evil people. Yes, so good. And what he was saying is, uh, for you to know how to interact with someone, and this, by the way, this has guided me in leading, in you know, be, being a boss, whatever. Uh, figuring out who you're dealing with, sh- then you know how to how, how to act in that. And so he he would say the wise person is someone who hears the truth, and adapts your life to the truth. He would say that a foolish person is someone who hears the truth and adapts the truth <laughs> to fit their life. Um, so it's not about being smart or dumb. It's about, because you know, there's a lot of really smart fools out there, but it's about hearing truth and saying, I don't really like that truth, so I'm going to adapt it to fit my life uh, to make it more palatable, whatever. And then the third is evil, uh, and they are, man, get the guns, get the lawyers, um, because they have nothing but ill intention to burn you down with it. And so his idea is this. If, if you're dealing with a wise person, 
you're having a conversation with the wise person and say, hey, when you did this, this is this is what happened to it. And that wise person, if you're wise, will hear that. It might hurt. You might have debate or whatever. But ultimately, we'll say, wow, that's true, some version of that. And I'm adapting now to uh, adapt to what, what I know to be true. Uh, uh, and so th- you know you're dealing with a fool when you've had that conversation about 10 times and nothing has changed. And you basically have to have the conversation of, look, okay, we're about to have a new conversation, which is when we had the other conversation, nothing changed. (laughs) So now we're having a new conversation. The new conversation is because of that, here's what I need to see from you. And this is, by the way, uh, we deal with addiction at Place of Hope. This is 100% what one of the most painful things that mothers and fathers have to do to love an addicted child is to put boundaries in place because they're no longer, they're not listening and they, because fools don't listen to truth. They only listen to consequences. That's the the big idea from, from clouds. You put consequences in place because if they're going to listen, the consequence is the only thing that's going to change it. Uh, And then of course, uh, if it's the evil people, that's when he says, "Get the guns, get the lawyers, get the you know you, you're not having any conversations with them because they're <laughs> right. they're looking to destroy you." Um, yeah, and so you know, figuring that out and then putting it back in the context of Romans 12, uh, you know, th- these aren't like ethereal, you know, love your enemy. You know, that sounds great on paper, but what does it really look like when mm-hmm. you know someone in your life is become. Uh, opposed to you and you know you may not at least in my experience there I've had enemies in my life that I I didn't not like I didn't know we were enemies um and so I had to kind of adapt to golly I guess uh, how do I how do I respond in this situation yeah and I think Paul is just outlining a baseline for which we start okay it's like Mm -hmm. this this understanding that having an awareness of how we should love the body of Christ and having an awareness of how we should and could love the broken. Yeah. Starting there. Like that's the foundation to which relationship is built. Yeah. And then there's a thousand scenarios that uh-huh. that uh, get laid on top of it. Yeah. And but if the base of that, if the foundation of that is love as a response to the love of Christ that we have. Yeah. That at least gives us a a legitimate starting point for what could be um, a, a, a relationship that is healed, yeah. a relationship that is restored, and, and not what, making it worse. Yeah. And what is so timely about it is in our context today in the year 2022, um, it's, it isn't ethereal. Like an enemy, um, whether it's, you know, in your circle of friends, whether it's an enemy in a in a political party, there are people who, if I say that uh, natural, like the marriage is a natural-born man and a natural-born woman, that's the con- that's that's marriage. Um, one natural-born man, one natural-born woman. Um, there are people out there that would hear me say that and immediately hate me, despise and be my enemy. Uh, without me even, cho- I didn't even choose that battle line. That's right. Um, and of course, looking at uh, the last two years of political in our own country, right, with uh, biology, with masks, with vaccines, with you know, there's the, you and I would say something like um, a cloth mask is of no use, uh, which is confirmed by most. Actually, even, you know, the most progressive people like Leanne Wen, the CNN medical correspondent, she's even saying, don't wear cloth ones. They're worthless. And yet there are people that would that would hate us for saying that out loud and want us canceled. Um, so this is not uh, so there's the personal thing, which we were talking about, like in your relationships. And then there's like the I don't want to say geopolitical, but just like living in society. Yeah, cultural. Yeah. Like this kind of Paul is he's he's writing to a group of people who are living in a city in a in an area that is hostile to Very. their mm-hmm. way of life, and we are now in that same mm-hmm. world. And how do we right live in a way? And, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it when we get into Romans 13 this week. But you know, one of the things with with loving the broken, uh, loving the body, which is the people inside the church at Rome, right, and then loving the broken, which is the people around. That's one of the best sermons you'll ever preach. 
is you know not not how well you can craft the argument of a tweet but when you are literally uh loving and serving those who would consider themselves to be your enemy um first peter 2 he talks about that's how you silence the talk of foolish men uh is with your good works um it's the best apologetic on the planet as is that jesus people um that's and and here's the thing I, i would say this like when we're going into romans 13 this week there aren't very many people that would even be listening to this podcast at this point because they would have been gone a long time ago uh, or they attend our fellowship that I have to convince that there are certain government ordinances and mandates that we must resist. Like, I don't have to convince people of that. Not, not, not in our circle. That's, they're all in. What I'm going to have to convince myself of and our church of is the reason that we do that. And it's out of love, not out of fear. Right. Um, because out of, if I'm resisting out of fear, then I'm literally becoming exactly like the people that are trying to force me to behave a certain way because fear is a, is a, a tool. Um, and if I'm using fear, whether in, I, I, cause I, I look, I'm looking at what's happening in our local school boards. I'm looking what's happening in our local elections and our national elections. And I'm seeing the same stuff in the media and fear is the immediate response that I want to have to that. But love, fear isn't going to do anything. All literally fear is going to do is create a battle line where now I'm trying to become my own version of a totalitarian. It's called religion, right? Um, and so fear isn't it. But it, love, again, back to Romans 12, like, love your enemies, um, heaping hot coals on their head of kindness. That's That's got to be our playbook. It's not that we don't resist. It's why we resist and how we resist. That is, is the, that's the real revolution. There's a video floating around social media today. Um, of a Russian soldier that has, um, what's the word, given himself up? Surrendered. Surrendered, thank you, gosh. Surrendered um, to the, uh, in, in a Ukrainian neighborhood. He surrendered to those in this Ukrainian neighborhood. And the Ukrainians, it's a video, this isn't, it's so impactful. Um, it's just a group of citizens, civilians, and they come over to him and they give him food and they give him drink and he's weeping and they're hugging and embracing the guy that had been in a uh, armored vehicle armored somewhere vehicle shooting he's at them possibly. in fatigues yeah. Yeah. he's exhausted he's um they said uh, he's about 20 21 years old they get uh one of the locals get gets the cell phone out and facetimes his mom dude and Can everybody's you imagine? crying everybody's crying because his mom's worried about him. His man. mom's worried about him, and wow. but they give him food, they give him drink, they love on him, and it's just at the core of all of us. You know, um, we want to see restoration. We want to see relationship restored. We yeah. don't want to see this um, evil being, you know, th- this this pervasive evil whether it's war or ideological war or whatever it is to take place. And it's just, it's a really powerful little video. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get it out there. But, um, but to that point, a question I have talking about fool or evil is Vladimir Putin, a fool or is he evil? <laughs> oh man, dude. there's a lot of historical context for what's happening. And I don't, and I, and I truly believe that most people don't know. Yeah. Um, the, the, the context of in which things are happening. Yeah. But you've studied yeah. this for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, um, the, you know, like you, like we discovered, like in pandemic times, like things that I, you and I normally do, like as a default are, are really most of the world doesn't find that charming. <laughs> the things that we think are fun. Yeah. Like, Hey, let's like do a deep dive on, you know, like anyway. Um, but you know, I don't like history in in school was literally almost the only subject that I actually enjoyed. Um, for sure, wanted to go deep on it, but I, I have I've been fascinated. So, so okay, so the answer to your question: you ask a question, is Putin evil or is he fool? Is he wise? What? Um, short answer is I don't know because I don't know him. Long answer is uh, he's he was like a mid level KGB. Not even a very successful, like mid-level, you know, not a pencil pusher or whatever. Um, And he wasn't 
uh, even when he came into power, uh, he never really espoused communism uh, as an ideology as like his leading. So it wasn't like in the Stalin and Marxism. All that. Uh, his was more about uh, if, if experts are to be believed, it, it, he, he would like go back to like Ivan the Terrible, like you know the the, the glory of the empire is his uh, ideology. And so we at our own peril um, don't think through like, you know, what, what's he going to do next? What's he going to, well, maybe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Like maybe we ought to take these guys at their word when they say they want to do something. And, you know, he has been very vocal uh, that uh, Ukraine is not its own nation. It is a part of the Russian and honestly, if you go back even further, it, it is actually weird. It's actually weirder than that. It's not so much that Ukraine is part of Russia as it is as Russia is part of Ukraine. Um, that that was where it sort of spread from there. Yeah. And uh, so when you look at that on a map and see, you know, uh, and it's why like the Whoopi Goldberg thing was so stupid uh, about race about, about being melatonin based, pigment based. Um, because you, that the video there, those, these are these are literally the exact same pigment of people uh, at at war with each other. Um, because it, I mean, James uh, says, you know, why do you war with each other? You know, it's, it's, he didn't say it was about the color of your skin; it was about your own lusts. You know, your own evil desires. And so, his evil desire is to restore the glory of the Russian Empire, and we stand in the way of that. Um, and when you think about this, like if you're, if you're watching news right now, it's like there's two lenses we have to, we get to look through. One is the biblical lens and one is the geopolitical. Not that those are two separate because they do dovetail together. Um, because, you know, Russia does appear in the biblical eschatological narrative but understanding that at the same time, that's what, here's why these things are happening. Like this is yeah, you know, do, do you remember? Was it the uh, Mitt Romney and uh, Obama uh, when they were doing a debate for the election, which had to have been what two thousand and eight? No, that was the McCain, so it would have been the two thousand twelve election. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the interviewer asked, "What is it? Was a CNN? Uh, what is the 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 most pressing threat against America?" and and Romney says Russia and has some reasons for that. And then o- President Obama uh, says uh, it's, it's not, it's al-Qaeda. And he, he makes this joke that became like the, the, you know, the gotcha moment, which was, you know, uh, Senator, the, the 1980s called and they want their foreign policy back, uh, telling him that he's old because Russia is of no, they're not a threat to us any longer. And the naivete of that idea uh which was just as naive as we could have a conversation and and talk Osamo's people into being nice to us. Like that was that was also naive. Uh, but if you've got a secular human mindset, that you know, there's a lot of naivete with that. But uh, but but I would say that uh, when you think the, the biblical lens of this, uh, Obama uh, was wrong, but it wasn't because it wasn't the 1980s that called. It was like the AD 800s. Like it was Ezekiel 38 called and said. Uh, your foreign policy is exactly what we said it would be, <laughs> right? You know, thousands of years ago, uh, when in Ezekiel thirty-eight it speaks of this war that ha- there's never been. This war has not happened on Earth yet, so there's this is a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Uh, Gog and Magog and you know Push and li- literally all these countries that are involved, but but it was going to require an emboldened Russia, not a weakened Russia, and. You've seen have you seen all the the uh, all these Twitter pictures? So it's basically this idea that oh man, Russia really bit off more than they can chew, and you know, God, they really screwed this up, and like that's been all over Twitter. Have you seen some of that? Yeah, which I mean, it's the fog of war, right? So there is definitely a a push back from Ukraine. Um, that seemingly has been underestimated by Russia. Yeah. At the same time, um, it could very well be part of the strategy. Yeah. 
I mean, look, he has a hundred thousand more troops that were sitting right outside the borders. Yeah. So it's it's. I don't know what this strategy is called. I'm sure there's a name for the the tactic and the strategy where you sit in some front lines and you exhaust the enemy with all of their munitions and resources, only to then just follow it up with a hammer, mm-hmm. which is what it's setting up to be. I mean, Kiev or Kiev is essentially surrounded right now. Um, some other big cities, Kharkiv was bombed last night again. Mm-hmm. Sumy was bombed last night again. Um, I'm reading all kinds of reports about, you know, it's the, the momentum is shifting because yeah. of the in immense amount of troops that are, that are on their way yeah. to, to, uh, to take over some of these big cities, specifically the capital of Ukraine, which yeah. is, which is Kiev. And to be clear, like it's it's heartbreaking, and I think people, you've got to be prepared that in the coming days and weeks, you're going to see lots of images of. They started this morning. Did they? I mean, this uh, you know, I, so I have a very specific resource that I use for for intel. <laughs> it's an open source intel um, curated resource, and. This morning, I mean, they've started to bomb civilian areas, yeah. and the images that are coming out are just are just terrible. Yeah. I mean, they can't even show these on on TV right, right now. Um, it's definitely going going to increase. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, be prepared because yeah. y- you know it is with near certainty that ukraine again so his stated goals are he wants uh, to get the current administration of ukraine out replace it with friend, you know russia friendly uh leadership like we need to be prepared that that is look this is not darren being a prophet this is just darren looking at the common sense and saying this is going to happen because our country is not going to biden has been super clear he's not going to bring in troops uh, no one else is bringing in troops that I'm aware of. And, and, and here's the thing. It's maybe we do, but if we do, like that's, that's ratcheting it up in a way that we suddenly have uh, the mutually assured destruction. Like the, the last time that we have been to something like this, this close, that I th- would have been Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. And... Uh, this, this even when you get to Iraq, Afghanistan, like none of those, there was not the threat of of a nuclear drop. That threat is now. It's uh, in front of us. Yeah, like it, that's a legitimate um, threat, and so ratcheting it up. But for those that are praying, like I, I'm, I'm not praying for us to get troops involved. I'm not praying for us to send in our people. It's one thing to to you know, mock the president and say, you know, what, why aren't you doing anything? But then when you ask the question, and what exactly would that be? Like, what would you want him to do? Um, because if the answer is uh, no fly zone or whatever, like you are literally now starting World War III. Now, that's the geopolitical side. The biblical side is maybe if 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 that if if this is the war of Ezekiel thirty-eight, you know, maybe that's w- what's unfolding here. Um, I don't personally think so because there are two other players in Ezekiel 38 that are not emboldened and empowered enough right now. One is Turkey, um, which has been all over the news. But if you remember, Turkey, you know, for years was considered to be the mod- uh, moderate, secular, almost, you know, Islamic state. And that is done. Erdogan is back and he wants to restore the glory of the Ottoman Empire. Uh and obviously Xi is everywhere, you know, in front of every place. And he is looking to restore the glory of the Chinese empire. And so while these guys have been allies as far as um, against the West, because we share, they would consider us an enemy, they are not, they have, they, these are competing goals. And so if, right. if you're China right now, you're looking at Russia going, man, you are screwing us up, man. Like, our Belt Road Initiative uh, is fully under attack, so there's, you know, I I don't think you're going to see China militarily invade because I don't think they're going to have to, unless we start shooting at them, then China might get involved. Yeah. Uh, 
historically, China has not minded just economically invading uh, and playing a long game with it. Um, but looking at what's unfolding right now, it sure seems like in the next few weeks, you know, Ukraine is going to be like Crimea um, with a little more f- finality to it. Yeah. So, you know, things to watch, right? <clears throat> watch the China-Taiwan relationship. You know, that's uh, Ukraine-Russia is a really good distraction for the rest of the world while China knocks on Taiwan's door. Uh, we need to watch the Israel-Syria um, relationship, which is not in the greatest of terms right now either. Um, there's also, uh, what did I see? The UAE uh, has suspended, I don't know if you saw this this morning, they suspended a, a visa waiver for Ukrainian citizens. UAE did. Yeah, so they're kind of getting involved here. Um, meaning, you know, when there's Ukrainians, you know, fleeing, they're they're not letting them in to the UAE as a safe harbor. Interesting. So they've drawn a line there with Russia, which is definitely interesting because what we talked about a few weeks ago in the Abraham Accords, yeah. you know, UAE is aligned with Israel. Um, and so there's all these... Uh, axes and allies that are picking and choosing sides but it tells you actually it gives you a real good glimpse inside of like uae or even saudi arabia for that matter that they have built an alliance uh a peace treaty with israel not because they like israel but because they hate iran sure right (laughs) and so it's a this is a alliance of convenience and it gives you a glimpse at uh like this is who our real friends are would be russia like this is like that's where they're putting their flag in the ground um and uae you know that whole part of like the chinese investment there is unbelievable the amount of chinese investment that's happening in these billions nations billions of dollars the other thing that's a little frustrating is is to know that we're still accepting and purchasing russian oil (laughs) like we have not cut that off um which I don't know if eventually we're going to get there, but we're st- we're still purchasing Russian oil at this point, um, so that's something to watch as well. Um, and f- and even still, I mean, there's a really good chance we should be prepared for five dollar gas this this summer. Just a heads yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're looking at your your Dave Ramsey uh, budget envelopes, you might want to increase you can, your you can uh, out, yeah. your, ca- your gas budget. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's not going to be pretty over the coming months. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um, the reality on the ground of of living in an eschatological time in history like we are is that there are going to be hard times, which Jesus said was going to happen. You know, said the world's going to hate you. Said there's going to be hard times. Uh, and when he would say things like, "But but never fear, never you know, but don't fear, don't be afraid." You know, he's saying that because there's something to be afraid of. And so we have a choice to make in that. It's, you know, it's saying it because this is this could be scary because it's a scary thing. Um, but I have overcome the world. Like that's the, the, the biblical lens of this. Even in Ezekiel 38, it's not that, um, if you, you know, this is a sovereignty of God conversation, but it's not even that, you know, when he talks about Gog and Magog, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and drag you down into Israel and you know why Israel um, why at this point you know they are standing alone and if you uh, are looking for I mean what, what's the world need right now at a hundred dollar barrels you know hundred dollars barrel of gas you've got an economy in China that is desperate for gas and for oil so much so that they're building deep water ports and they're buying up you know uh, Russia is clearly in you know uh, in need. They've got gas and oil there, but you know they're, they're, with the prices as high as they are, it's going to you know crush them. Turkey and the other, they might all have conflicting goals, but all those goals actually coalesce right in the Middle East. And the one nation that would stand in the way from them doing any of that is Israel. Yeah. And so it, it's wild when you can look at it and say. Oh golly, that, like golly. Oh golly, uh, that's exactly what he said was going to happen, and you can you can see these pieces in place. So on the one hand, it's scary, but the reason don't be afraid is God is moving these pieces into place because he's about he's setting everything right again. Yeah, with it, and 
these men, back to the original question, is Putin evil? Um, we are all, and this is uh, this would diverge from the Henry Cloud ideology, but into the uh, the biblical lens, we are all we've all sinned. We were all born evil uh, against God. We we're all enemies of God, and he has offered his love and his forgiveness to us in the same way that he tells us to love our enemies. He does. He did it to us. He loved us. That's right. Exactly. And so the answer is yes, Putin is evil. Um, it, it's, uh, that was something I've said before. There are basically two kinds of people in the world. Those, uh, who are forgiven and those who God wants to forgive. Right. Uh, and Putin would fall into that category, but it's Putin's choice. And, you know, according to this, uh, Putin's choice is, uh, not going to be good. You know, this is, he has evil intentions, uh, masked with good. And the good that he thinks he's doing is he's restoring the, the honor of his country. And it's evil because the way he's going to do it is he, it means he has to destroy everybody that stands in his way. Just one note of encouragement, something to, to remember when, um, when you're watching the news or you're taking in all of this, all of this information, um, my encouragement would be to keep one eye in the microscope and one eye in the telescope. And I've, I've said this several times on here, but I think it's a good reminder for all of us. I think it's fine to pay attention to what is happening, to follow along to what's going on. It's good to be aware um, and not just bury our head in the sand. So to keep one eye in the microscope means to keep things close. But at the same time, to, to have some balance, um, zoom out and see the big picture of what's going on, which is what you know, you're, you're talking about here in the, in the big scope and the big scheme of things in the, in the big narrative and the story of, of scripture, historical and what's to come. We know how this all will play out. Yeah. And so it's just a reminder for all of us to have a balance when taking in this information. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, so false optimism is ignore it at all costs and I don't want to deal with it at all. And it's, it's just going to work out because it always works out. Um, is literally a factually inaccurate statement. And so if that's not the truth, so that won't set you free, that will just bind you up in a different way. Um, and on the other hand, uh, the world is all going to hell and we're all screwed. We're all like, that's that's, <laughs> that's also not true. Because like, it's, it's not being destroyed, it's being recreated. So it's it's a, neither one of those are true and so either one of those that you're using is either producing a false hope or it's also producing a false fear um and neither are going to be helpful um in uh, romans 13 where i'm going to be this week he actually ends that chapter with and do this uh understand the present time the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber your salvation is nearer uh, the day is the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Like he's he's using this language. When I hear people talk that eschatology isn't important, um, I don't want to shame them, but I do want to say Paul thought it was uh, because it's actually eschatology is however it's going to look. We may not know exactly, but what is important is that it's going to look like God wants it to look, and that He's got it under control, and that's important so that we can have peace and. And then not go build bunkers, not move to Kolioka and, and start the commune and, and, you know, arm ourselves, but to do Romans 12. Yeah. Love your enemy. Uh, feed them, you know, pour heaping hot coals on it. The gospel has to continue. We don't shrink back. We move forward. And the truth is it's, it's important as it ever was because we don't know if we have tomorrow. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know if we're in Ezekiel 38 right, right. now. I don't know. Um, nobody does, but we know that we are, as Paul says, we are closer than we were yesterday. Right. And, uh, at at a time when it feels uncertain uh, for me to tell you that it's going to be fine, we're going to be great. We're while our nation is printing trillions of dollars, like we're playing Monopoly. Like, I can't tell you that's going to be fine. I mean, (laughs) you know, every economist up until recent history has said the same thing. When you print money, it causes inflation. Well, what did we do? We printed a lot of money and now we're having a great inflation. Uh, and I heard a couple of economists say, that's not why I'm, you know, they're trying to blame corporations. And I'm like, "Mm, man, that's a bit, a bit of a stretch. So, so be wise, prepare, be, uh, be prepared, be aware of your present time, but, but also 
uh, in love and in because goodness, this is the time that the disciples would have given anything to have been alive during this time. You know, they wished they were alive during sure. a time like this. His return. And so we have a, this is our time, man. Like this is the time where the church rises up, uh, where we uh, be the light, the city on a hill, the, because even if I'm wrong and whatever, we're not, you know, there's another 2000 years before Jesus comes, who knows uh, what's the worst that can happen? We just given the gospel to millions of people. Like that's not a bad way to go. Uh, but I do want to caution and say that that's also what Peter warned when he said, you know, in the last days there will be scoffers and mockers. And he goes on and it's in the context. I think it's first Peter four. Anyway, he goes on to say, um, it's about the return of Christ saying they're going to say, you know, they've been saying that forever that he's going to come back tomorrow. You know, and, and make fun of us for saying that. But Peter's like, you know, he goes on to say that a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. There's, you know, he's the only reason he hasn't come already is he's being patient because he wants more to come into salvation. So that's happening. And that was 2000 years ago. And if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, that's two days ago in God's calendar. <laughs> right. So we're on the third day and in God's economy, amazing things happen on the third day. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, Keep your eye. You said one eye on the on the microscope and one eye uh, to the sky. That's right. <laughs> the big picture. Yes. So we're we've wrapped up chapter twelve uh, of Romans. Chapter thirteen up this week. You've teased it just a little bit there. Yeah. Um, but that could that could it will be a fun chapter because there's a lot of opinion about chapter thirteen. Romans chapter thirteen is one of the <laughs> go to <laughs> chapters. Um, especially over the past couple of years. When we reopened in June, I realized how many theological experts on Romans 13 were there were out there. Oh, word, or word. The I amount mean, of Romans 13. What about Romans 13? What about Romans 13? The amount of blogs that have been written, the uh-huh. amount of probably podcasts yeah. uh, about Romans 13. What's the premise, though? What's the wh- Why is Paul addressing this? Well, 100% for the same reason that we need to address it. He yeah. was in a society in a a government situation that was hostile to their way of life, uh, hostile to their, uh, to what they hold near and dear. And so how do you live in that world? Um, specifically believers, believers, yes, Christians, believe Christians, us. And so, you know, when he talks about paying taxes, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you were in Rome, it would have really hurt your feelings to have to pay taxes to the government that you, you know, that wasn't exactly friendly towards you. Yeah, scoffing. Yeah. And so what people have um, taken that, in, 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 I would say out of context, is that if you just go to Romans 13, you could maybe think he means then no matter what the government makes me do, then I have to do it because the government is in place by God. Um, but if you let the Bible interpret the Bible, you know, first of all, Paul was later executed for disobeying government mandates, the guy that wrote that. So clearly there was some nuance to what he was saying that is not as simple as and that. And was Paul not employed by the government no. as Saul, Saul of Tarsus? He would have been employed by, uh, as a Pharisee, it would have been like the Jewish, okay. uh, temple like so he yeah. would have but but yeah so in his mind yeah it, that would have been in rome this would have he would have not have been employed by that government yeah. um in fact he would have he, he was which is i mean a little bit of a teaser for it but he was um there's this in acts there's that moment where he's about to, he's being beaten and he basically says look i am a roman citizen you cannot do this to me and so what he is doing is not disobeying a government mandate. He is saying that the way that these people are enforcing the law is actually illegal, mm. and I want my rights. Oh, wow, interesting. And so uh, when you look at I, I challenge someone to Google, just Google something along the lines of uh, governments paying churches uh, or governments losing cases against churches. The amount of lawsuits that Californian churches won, John MacArthur included, um, Rob McCoy, McCoy yeah. um, what they were saying was what you're telling us to do actually. So it's Romans 13 isn't even the right application of it. Cause the, they're saying this is, you are enforcing a law that's not a law and I want my rights. Uh, 
and they've won. Every single one of those cases have won. The governments have actually, these cities have written large checks to these churches because they were wrong. And so just like Paul said, uh, you can't beat me like this. Now, you notice when he gets to Rome, he didn't say that because it wasn't, he couldn't, you know, he, he had been um, executed. He was going to be executed. He, didn't, he wasn't demanding his right. That wasn't his right. That's why in Pakistan it's complicated or countries like that because it actually is illegal to convert somebody to, from Islam to Christianity. That is 100% illegal. It, you can be prosecuted, fined, and arrested and have all your things taken from you. If you do something as simple as talk to somebody on a train and try to convince them to convert to Christianity. And so uh, all of that stuff matters and all of that Romans 13 covers and the the, the big tease for it uh, as we're going into it is really, it's actually really simple. It's not that complex at all because he starts talking again about love and he uh, is talking about fear. And if you are resisting a mandate because you're afraid, you are, you are doing it wrong. If you're resisting it out of love, so out of love, we resisted because uh, we had people in East Asia that needed uh, food and, and supplies. We, we had senior citizens who needed help here in America. We need people who need, it was because we loved that we did that. And so we weren't out there raging and whatever, but we, you know, because it's funny in the middle of 13, he actually talks about, you know, loving one another and doing it according to love and love your neighbor as yourself. And which we were being told back in the day to wear masks because that's loving your neighbor as yourself. And here we are, but, you know, 18 months later and Leanne Wen, Dr. Leanne Wen is saying a cloth mask was worthless. And I'm saying to those people, you, you, you better be careful when you start throwing that out because telling a senior citizen who is immunocompromised to wear a cloth mask and that will keep them safe, that is not loving at all. That's the exact opposite of love because you're lying to them. Mm-hmm. And even if you didn't mean to lie, you were telling them incorrect information. So be careful attaching, you know, to what, you know, defining what loving your neighbor is. Um because if you're doing it based upon some scientific thing and the science changes, uh, their blood is on your hands. Do you think uh, you're going to get through Romans chapter 13 in one, one week, one fell swoop? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I think it might take a couple weeks. Yeah, it might. It might. I'm, I, I've, I've gridded it out to go through it all in one Okay, I'm trying to because you, it's 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 a contiguous thought. It really is. I mean, it's it's 14 verses, um, kind of broken out into two or three sections here. Yeah, um, but it is interesting how he does in the chapter, uh, reminding us that the day is near. Yeah, and you know the very last verse: clothe yourselves, not with a mask, but with the <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ. Right, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Yeah. Uh, and in the verse right before, which I have been really, uh, golly, just, well, I've said golly like 14 times. Now. What the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I love it. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, and not in dissension and jealousy. Uh, in the body of Christ, like these are all like you, this is like somebody's Twitter feed right here, sexual immorality, carousing, debauchery, dissension, right. jealousy. Like, it's like you could cross-reference your Twitter feed with that. Oof. Uh, and he's saying, clothe, but don't clothe yourself with that. Clothe yourself with Christ. Um, because in Christ, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And if, you know, uh, Tracy Rogers was saying in one of our sermon prep meetings that it, it, you can't do 13 without 12, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. None of this works if you don't start with That's 12. That's right. Uh, a lot of people skipped right to chapter 13. Uh, and that's not the way the book went. And it's not the way the thought is. It's, 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 it's like kind of the problem we have right now is you're trying to literally live our lives in like, a, you know, a social media post and these little sound bites of three minute interview segments. And that's not how the real world works. Right. That's why it's the Bible. Because if it were, that's how the Bible would be written. But it's not how the Bible was written because we uh, it, things are way more complex than that. Wow, that's a lot. We have uh, we have made it through twelve chapters. A few more to go in Romans in this sermon series that we started last August, and this should take us up to Easter Sunday, which is coming. Easter Sunday is about six weeks away. Believe it or not, that's bonkers, dude. So we're excited for that. We're going to be um, releasing. Um, our our service times for that day and all that we have in store for that weekend um, here soon. And if you haven't listened to any of the teachings of 
our sermon series yet, um, or maybe you're behind a few weeks, you can find those uh, on our YouTube channel. Obviously, you can find them here on our podcast. Just scroll down or scroll up, depending on how you have it organized. Um, and we would love to have you visit on a Sunday. And whether that's in person or streaming live online each Sunday at 11 a.m., you can follow us on our YouTube channel. Search Conduit Church, visit conduitchurch.com, and we look forward to meeting you.